All right, well, good morning to you. And we are in the uh, book of 1 Peter, the epistle of Peter, the first one. And we're looking at this section this morning, um, verses 6 and 7, but we're going to read beginning right in the very beginning of the chapter so we can keep the context. And if you're joining us uh, maybe for the first time, it's um, as far as this study, we began it about, uh, I guess this is our third in a series of studies that we're going to have out of First Peter. And so that's what we're doing here. And let's look at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials." that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Our Lord, we come before you again this morning in thanksgiving. We praise you, Lord, for these words that were penned so many years ago, but are so true today and are true forever. And Lord, we stake our entire eternity on them. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who paid the price for our salvation. We thank you, O Father, who has begotten us again from the dead through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask that now you would teach us as only you can May the Spirit of God work in our hearts and minds today that we might obey and we might give honor and glory to you in everything that's done and said. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We come to this section. I want to look at verses 6 and 7. And we're reminded of uh, trials. And it's really the trials of, of fire. And that's how Peter describes it. He talks about various trials, fiery trials that were going on. When we began this study, we looked at some of the persecution that was uh, happening in that day in the first century. And as Peter writes to the scattered believers across the Roman Empire, particularly in the geographic location he, he lists are in what would be today modern Turkey or up the northern part of that. And we looked at some of the, the issues that Christians were facing. And Peter himself would face and had faced already in his life persecution. He had been imprisoned. He later would be re-imprisoned and would be crucified. Uh, history says he was crucified at Rome, requesting to be crucified upside down because he felt he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as the Lord Jesus. And so they honored that and that's how he died. He writes this letter to encourage believers in the midst of those trials. And I want to look at that because really it's the trying of our faith that shows really what is real. 
and the very real things. And as he later says, the genuineness of your faith. Is this real or not? And that's always a question that goes out. On April 5th, 1943, Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer was arrested by the SS in Nazi Germany. He had for years spoken out against what was going on by Hitler and his Nazi party. And he spoke out with much influence. And for a while, I think they were worried that if he was arrested, he would be, uh, it was, it was going to cause a lot of problems. But he was eventually arrested on that date, April 5th, 1943. Two years later, and only a few weeks from the end of World War II, he, uh, on April 8th, he was leading services uh, at uh, the prison camp Buchenwald concentration camp. And he was there on death row. He was facing a death sentence. And as he was... Um, Uh, praying with the prisoners that were there after he concluded the final prayer the door opened and two civilians entered and they said prisoner Bonhoeffer come with us everyone knew what that meant it meant the time had come to go to the gallows he was taken and he was eventually he was brought uh, to Flossenburg prison and the next day he was hanged there The SS doctor who witnessed his death called him brave and composed and devout to the very end. He said this, quote, Through the half-open door I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer still in his prison clothes, kneeling fervent in prayer to the Lord his God. The devotion and evident conviction of being heard that I saw in the prayer of this intensely captivating man moved me to the death. See, if an SS doctor who had witnessed probably thousands of deaths and had overseen many of these executions, if he was moved at the, the sight of a dying man, a man who was just minutes away from dying, you know, that shows the genuineness of that man's faith. But it only is evidenced when we go through kind of difficult trials. And that's often when that, that genuineness of our faith is, is screamed out. <laughs> and it, is it real or is it not? I don't know if I'll ever have to go through a trial like Bonhoeffer went through, but I will say this, that as we face whatever little trials or large trials, we have to keep them in context of the backdrop of which God expresses them to us, and and that's eternity. And that's what he talks about here. And then you remember I said a few uh, weeks ago when we started this, and I say it often when we look at the Bible, you, as a good student of the Bible, you always want to ask the Bible questions, all right? Questions that you hopefully it answers, right? You always ask the very basic ones, the who, what, the why, the where, all that. We went over some of those. And we come to the big question of why, all right? Why does God allow for great trials in our life or trials in general? It doesn't even necessarily have to be great. The word here translated various trials, meaning through many different ways. And they are, they are necessarily not very long. They're short trials, but they're trials that will continue and they could come in all shapes and sizes and, and for durations even in this life as we look at them. And often I, I think of that because we have opportunities as a trial faces you or faces me or you find yourself engaged in something maybe that's a lifelong journey of a trial of some sort. You know what? You have an opportunity to either become better or become bitter. <laughs> and a lot of people choose the latter. They, they want to become bitter, I think. And they die a grumpy old man or a grumpy old lady. You know, I hate to say that. Or sometimes they aren't that old and they're still that way. 
Don't let a root of bitterness rise up in you. The Bible commands us really and instructs us to to eliminate that before it takes root. Because once something takes root, it's very hard to leave in that way. We can really, when trouble comes, we have choices, and they are choices that we make. And you can turn to God in prayer, maybe like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He knew his time was short. He went to prayer, as was his habit. Or, again, we can become bitter. We can become quiet and and thoughtful and take it in and think on it a little more. Or maybe we can just complain all the time and not realize that there's something greater for us in the midst of that. Maybe we can become more compassionate towards others that might be facing the same trial. Oh, you ever thought of that, that maybe something came into your life? It, it may have been just a small thing, but it was enough to make you a little bit you know, grumpy and upset and all that stuff, or at least aggravated, and hopefully you turn that around, but now you have the opportunity to minister to somebody. And that's a little trial, but how about a big thing, something re- really big, you know? A, a broken relationship, a marriage that's gone bad, or <coughs> the death of someone close to you. Or a health problem that you face that maybe others are facing, but you face it with the joy of the Lord and Christ in your heart. There's a difference there, isn't it? You can draw close to the Lord or you can turn away from Him. Really, I'm amazed at how God does that. And it's often through those, th- those times that we, we see the most of the Lord. The British journalist Malcolm uh, Mudridge there He became a Christian before his death, and um, late in life he said this, Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, everything I have learned, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness. Hmm. You thought about that? And it's not that the, the, the happiness that, he, that Mudridge was talking about there is just the, the general pleasures of life that we sometimes seek so much of. And they aren't lasting, they're fleeting, but for a moment. God's not against having happy times and pleasure and all those things, but he wants that with him in mind and even in the worst of our trials. That's really when we learn of the joy of the Lord in those things. Well, there's a few things here and I want to look at, and, and uh, we looked at various trials, and we won't go into all those, but there's certainly a lot of them. But verse 7, and he says this, and uh, well, back it up to verse 1, sorry. It says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. Do you see that word, a little while? Uh, point number one, if you want to take notes on this, and, and I, I'll just go over these when we do it, but... If you want to keep in mind about trials, trials are for a moment. They're for a brief time. You say, well, you don't have the trials I have. I've had this, this thing in my life now for, for years. Or, or I have this diagnosis and it'll never leave me until I die, which might be years ahead. Or you have this awful thing that's come into your life and you say, it's not for a moment. It is. It is for a moment. I want you to think of this for the believer, for the Christian. You realize that we are eternal in the sense that God has saved us. We looked at that in the previous section. He's begotten us again. We're born again onto a living hope. That means we're alive so long as Christ is alive. 
And oh, we're getting ready to celebrate the resurrection next Sunday. But we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday here. I have to tell you that. And we should be. And you should be living in that light. Because without the resurrection of Christ, we would live in a hopeless world. His world is filled with a lot of just bad things. <coughs> I get... I, get, I, I listen to the news way too much and I, I try to stay up on current events and I do that, but boy, I start thinking, oh, this is awful and, and my politicians can't fix this and they can't do that and they mess that up and, and then this, this bad thing has happened over here and these people, they were minding their own business and that happened to them and you get, oh, it's awful. Well, let me just let you in on a secret that this world is not our home. We are pilgrims and strangers. As Peter reminds those who he writes this letter to, and he says, you're just here for a little while. In the scope of eternity, my life is but a little dot. James puts it, he says, it is but a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. Oh, I hate to say it now. You say, well, it sure seems long. And it does. You know, I, I was reading about that. The, the brain, it's interesting. You ever wonder why as you age, it seems like life just goes faster? It seems like years go like this now, you know? But remember back when you were in second grade or something? Second grade was my worst grade of growing up. And I probably wasn't the best second grader either, you know? But I can say I, I didn't like my teacher, and, and, and she's gone now and all that. I don't mean her any harm by any means, but I, I didn't like her. I just, and she made me nervous all the time, and I, I would go to school just stressed out. And I thought, I'll never get through second grade. And now I look back and think, oh, if I could just go back to second grade, you know, even for a, a little while. Uh, I mean, I would just, I would love it, you know. I met a lot worse people in my life than my second grade teacher. And I think she had my best interest at heart. I just didn't like her. You know, I have to say that. But, uh, and don't go look up who it was. I don't, you know, but I say this. <clears throat> I just say this, that sometimes our perspective, okay, when we're young, I had only lived seven years of my life. And a year in second grade was a long time. Now I'm a little older, all right? I'm 48 now. And one year out of 48 years, that wasn't much. It really wasn't. You know, 10,000 years from now when I'm in heaven, <laughs> 48 years isn't a whole lot. <laughs> a million years from now, 48 years isn't too much. You know, our light affliction, that's what it is. It's but for a moment. And it may be years on this earth, but in the space of eternity, it's but a dot on this whole scale that we exist. Someday we're going to look back, and that's why as we age, things go faster and faster. Because see, a year is nothing. When you're, when you're 70, you're thinking, you know, that's, that's not really that many. I've lived a lot of those. But when you're a kid, you're, and your brain actually figures that out. Do you realize that? That's why it actually is true. You feel like time is flying faster the older you get. And there is, there is a reason, because your brain connects that. You've lived longer. <laughs> There's more space of time. So therefore, the time you live seems shorter, the way it goes. And I don't know, the people who study the brain, they, they came up with that. I don't know. I figured it out before that because it's going faster every year. That's all. It's a brief moment. A brief moment. And I just say that because our, so often uh, our, our whole perspective dwells on that moment instead of beyond the moment. And we need to dwell beyond the moment, you know, and looking at that. So often we have those things that come our way. Secondly, our trials are necessary. Look what he says. He says, 
In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be. Oh, why would Peter put that in there? Because sometimes it's needed. (laughs) If need be. And that's what that whole connection, that phrase means this. You have been grieved by various trials. Peter's saying it this way. Trials are needed in our life. They're needed. I would not have picked that. I, I would rather make sure that my day went perfect, you know. I could always find a pair of socks in my drawer when I got up after sleeping in exactly eight hours, you know. And making sure I had a good night's rest. I can jump out of bed feeling, wow, I just feel stronger than yesterday. You know, all those things. And then hit the day and everything just goes well. I would love that. But that's not life. And it's not life on Sunday morning often, is it? But they're necessary. And sometimes it's necessary that we don't have a good night. Sometimes, you know, we need to stay awake and think. George Whitfield said it this way, God puts burrs in our bed to keep us watchful and awake. Mm-hmm. You have any burrs in your bed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? Instead of, if you have a sleepless night, instead of getting up and trying to find something on the television or going on Facebook or anything like that, just, just pray. Read your Bible. Do that. I'll tell you, every time I pray, I get tired. So maybe it helps, you know. But I'll say this, that that's what God wants to do sometimes. He awakens us in the night so that we might have a mind like Him and that our meditations day and night would be upon Him. And He wants that in us. And sometimes it's through our insomnia (laughs) or the pain that you chronically have that's keeping you awake at night or whatever else. And I'm sure every one of them, I went down. That's one of the areas I noticed in Christians. If you ask them, how would you sleep? Or listen, very few ever sleep well. (laughs) One guy did all the time. My friend there, he sleeps, uh, he has a good, I don't know, he can sleep anywhere. And he says, good conscience does that for you. (laughs) Looks at me, I'm like, oh great, you know. (laughs) But yeah, but I'll just say it this way. Those are minor things. They really are. My friend Steve Wagstaff, I, I love that guy, and I was thinking of him today because Al said, you always sound better when you stand up. Well, Steve was our music director at uh, People's Church and also at MBBI, and he's in a wheelchair, okay? And sometimes the song leader would say, and he would, like, song, he would be leading from the side there in his wheelchair, and he'd say, everybody stand up because you sound better when you stand up. Steve would be over there with his microphone and go, thanks, you know, and he's sitting in his chair. He can't get up. But I, I tell you this, I, I know enough of, of Steve, and I hope he doesn't listen to this, but anyways, uh, I just say this, that that man has gone through so much pain and agony and, and health problems and complications, and he's younger than me, and he does that uh, and so often joyfully in, in a way that, oh, I just, I, I can't even begin to understand. And, and he's been like that, confined to a wheelchair since he's 18 years old, and prime of his you know, life, getting ready to launch out and everything, he ends up in a diving accident and, and broke his neck, you know? And really amazing what God's done with him. And I think, I'm thankful I can get up out of bed in the morning. I can still stand up when somebody says, stand up and sing, you sound better. I don't know if that's true with me or not. If I sound better city, I don't know. Some of you say, you know, you should sing tenor, 10 or 12 miles away, right? You know, yeah, all right. You'll get that later. Oh, sorry. 
or, or solo, you know, solo, no one can hear you. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. All right. Those are groaners, I know, I know, we'll leave them. But uh, our trials are necessary. And if we didn't have those trials, we would, uh, con- considering we would not understand really the depth of the suffering of Christ. We never will really understand totally the depth of his suffering in his agony, which results in the glory of not only him, but us. Because he's begotten us again unto a living hope. And we get everything that he has, but it came through suffering, through a cross. I think of that on this Sunday on the Christian calendar. It is traditionally the Palm Sunday, which commemorates the entrance of Christ into Jerusalem. When, when they waved palm branches. And, you know, in, in the book of Revelation, it talks about palm branches being waved again. You know, that's the multitude of the redeemed who will be from every nation, tongue, tribe. You know what? They'll be waving palm branches and singing praises to him again. But on that Sunday when he came into Jerusalem and he, he descended off the Mount of Olives and he would go down into Jerusalem and they said, Hosanna, Hosanna. And, you know, God save us. God save us. They did not realize what the cost of that would include. It would be by the end of that week, that, that Friday to come, would this one who everybody was claiming, you know, Hosanna, who's coming in the name of the Lord, he would be hanging on a cross. He would be suspended between heaven and earth and he would be dying. And he would be dying a most horrendous death that man could ever imagine. And man's imagined a lot of ways to kill people. But the cross was particularly cruel. The Romans had devised it because they had wanted something that would inflict the most pain in suffering, in death, and yet would not kill somebody quickly. So people would be suspended on a cross and nailed there having their, the nerves of their, their wrists punctured with rusty nails right through these median nerves right here. That's, you know, carpal tunnel. You ever have carpal tunnel syndrome? All the problems that go with that. Imagine having that nerve just crushed and pierced through his hands, his feet also. Same, same thing. The pain would have been, as they, the word I've told you before, excruciating excrucio out of the cross that's the name that the romans came up with for the type of pain that it was so bad they called it out of the cross excruciating wow that's what christ suffered but it was for a moment he did it because he saw that this was a moment it was hours that he was suspended on the cross they were hours before that that he was he was Suffering because they beat him. Beat him so bad that he was not able to be recognized anymore. People couldn't look at him and say, that's Jesus. I saw him yesterday. No, he looked like a torn piece of flesh with his blood mingled down, beaten and bruised with a crown of thorns plaited upon his head with purple robes that they had placed on him, but then stripped them all off, and he bore his cross in all the nakedness and shame that sin can lay on a man. Yet he had no sin. He did that for me. He did that for you. When you suffer a little bit, and I have, I've, I've walked with people through death before, not me myself dying, obviously, but, but walked in those final days, and as a pastor, that's hard, but some of you have had to be there with a loved one or in a medical situation. You've, you've sat with somebody as they're, as they're dying. And for Christians, I, I always try to encourage them. 
look to the cross in your mind. Gird up your mind, even in the end, thinking about Christ. Think about him. He suffered for about a moment. For a moment. If need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Look at the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, I've got to find it here myself. Peter, uh, uh, Sam, if you can call that up for me. I don't see where that reference is. There it is. Ah, good. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says this, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And, and I can stop right there and say, the sufferings of Christ, though they climaxed at the cross, they began when he incarnated Do you realize that God who put on flesh and became a man had to be born? He went through all the the pain and agony that a baby would have to suffer to go through. I I don't know. I'm thankful I don't remember that. My mother says it was terrible. (laughs) Probably afterwards she said that too. Oh no, you know. But listen, he went and humbled himself and became a man. And that began with the incarnation, the conception in a virgin's womb. And to go through that process of having to learn to walk, probably getting bumped here now and again. I don't think Jesus just learned to walk and you know, took his first steps and started running. I think he did it just like everybody else. Because the Bible says he was tempted in every way like we are and yet without sin. That means he probably stumbled and fell with his legs not quite ready. Those kind of things. Later on, he would also stumble and fall when he bore a cross, remember, across his back. And as he would, had not the strength to be able to carry that anymore. You say, but this is, this is God. The Bible says right here, he was taking the form of a bondservant. But it says he made himself of no reputation previous to that. That he was equal with God. That's basically what it says there. He was equal. How is it that God could falter and fall? You know how? Because he put on flesh. He was 100% God, but yet he was 100% man. And that's why he, can, he knows what it's like to have trials. He knows what it's like to be unfairly placed in a, a position. He knows what it's like to die. And being found in appearance as a man, and he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And Paul, the apostle who writes there in Philippians, he adds that there, again, breathed out by the Holy Spirit himself. But listen, he died and he even went to the point of the death of the cross. I don't care what trial you face today, um, you, you don't face the death of the cross of the Savior who died on that cross. And his death was particularly horrendous because he was very uh, poorly treated even before he went to it. And it is... Often those that have studied it out from a clinical perspective have said it would have been very unlikely that Christ uh, had much strength left when he went on the cross, that he even lived as long as he did. It was amazing. And when the Roman soldiers came to break his legs because that was their only form of mercy, 
that if someone had struggled long enough on a cross trying to lift themselves against the nails to breathe and then exhale and do the whole thing over again you could only do that for so long and they would even the soldiers they would come to a point where this is enough we've got to end this and they would break somebody's legs therefore they could no longer lift themselves they would suffocate rather quickly but when they came to Jesus they went to break his legs and he was already dead and we know that Dr. Luke who was a physician he describes there how his side was pierced and water and blood flowed out interesting in that order because that's how it did (laughs) and he was dead indeed when the blood stops flowing, it doesn't take long, it begins to separate and that the plasma part of your blood, the liquid part, you know, leaves and it would have filled the sac around the heart and, and the blood would have been in behind that or the thicker part and when he was pierced, the water and the blood flowed out. He was dead. He didn't just swoon on the cross or die and swoon in the grave. You know, he was dead. The death of the cross. And, and why? Why? Because... There's something greater to come. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and of things on the earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence also, or only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know what? Here is this, uh, the theology of, of the suffering of Christ for the glory of Christ. He's exalted, given a name. But you know what he says too? He, Paul goes on, he says, Therefore, my beloved, you guys that are still here, the beloved, guess what? Obey! And continue to obey. Why? Because you're working out your salvation. Not working for salvation, but you're showing people salvation. And that's against the backdrop of trials. That's against the backdrop of Christ's death and His glorification. All of that. We live for something else and someone else. Is what Paul is saying here. Our trials are necessary. Very necessary. Our trials are also purifying. He goes on to say in verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith, this is back to 1 Peter chapter 1, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. You know, he's talking about there is that the trials that come our way are the result also, or they result in a purifying effect. And he uses the analogy of gold. And I know many of you probably have heard this analogy, but when they take gold, and you know, particularly it's it's very rare to find uh, a gold nugget that's made out of all gold. Most of the time it's ore that's in a rock and it's got lots of impurities. And today they mine gold entirely different. They mine it by the, the truckloads. They take truckloads of dirt out of the earth and then, you know, put it through a process by where they can take out small little atoms of gold out of all kinds of stuff. You would look at, it just looks like dirt. There's no gold in there. And they'll be able to pull that out and, and, and they do that. Today. That's how they mine gold today. But through the process of the smelting of that, which is pretty intense, they bring out gold out of what looks just like dirt. Wow. Sometimes I look at my life and I think, man, there's a lot of dirt. 
lot of dirt sometimes. And I think, where'd that come from? You ever wonder that? You have a house, and you, I'm sure you ladies like to clean your house like everybody, right? And they do, yeah, no, some of you do. I know that. My wife cleans our house and all that stuff, and she'll go through that house and clean it and all that. And then I'll jokingly, I'll come down, and you know, I was in the army, and I'd, I'll look for something, you know, some dust or something like that. It doesn't always go well when I do that. Anyway, that's another story. But you know, just when you think, I've got it all taken care of, it looks good. And you know what? The dust bunny crawls out. <laughs> and you think, where'd that come from? Well, sometimes we need a little stirring up. We need a little stirring up. We need a little wind to blow. See where the dust comes from. We need a little, sometimes light to shine to see where the dirt comes from. And you know what? It's through our pain that that happens. It's really, it is. It was C.S. Lewis who, uh, he put it this way, and I hope I quote him right, but he said this about our pleasures. He said, God speaks softly in our pleasures, but he takes a megaphone in our pain to speak. You know, it's so true. And he hollers out, Jack, look at that in your life. You're, you got some impurities there, and I want to make it Pure. I want to make it like gold tested in the fire. And, and you've got to deal with that. Okay, thank you, Lord. Okay, i got another one for you. Here. No, Lord. No, not that. Yes, here. You need that. You need that. Trials. They come that way, don't they? Romans chapter 8. Familiar verses. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. Do you realize that everything is being worked out for our good and for his purpose? For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. That is so important. A lot of times people get really hung up on the foreknowledge and the predestination part of this and they leave out the conformity. <laughs> Ultimately, how, why God has is, is called us and Re, uh, he's made us born again and he's done all of those things is because he wants to conform us into his image and he is in the process of that is someday i'm going to be sinless not here on earth i gotta this old carcass has to be taken off somehow first it does and that's why death comes that's first corinthians 15 explains that Death is the result of a sinful world, a sin-cursed earth, and a people that are cursed with sin. And it is in us. And death reigns. And it reigns only so far, though, for, for the Christian because of the hope that's in the resurrection, the power that's in the resurrection of Christ, that as this body is put on, that we are going to be in the presence of God, and then the body itself will be someday raised up and made new without sin. Oh, that's a great day. That's being conformed into the image of the Son. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That sounds very much like what Peter is talking about. This is Paul, again, writing in the book of Romans, and he's saying this, and the end of that chapter, Romans 8, there is all the things, what can separate us from the love of God, right? And he lists all these things, and he comes to the conclusion that nothing can separate us from him, because he is, uh, he is working in us 
a great work whereby we will be glorified like He is glorified. Our trials, therefore, and this is the, the fourth thing, our trials are eternally significant. I don't know if I gave you the, the other two points, but um, our trials are necessary, our trials are purifying, and our trials are, are eternally significant. There's a, there's a weight, if you compare eternity with the life that I'm in right now, eternity always is better, right? Always is, stands out. It is the, the one that makes it all worth it. We go back to First uh, Peter there, and he says, gold that perishes. I thought of that. I thought, you know, gold is one of those metals that stays around generation after generation after generation. And yet, do you realize that even gold will perish someday? The Bible talks about a, him restoring or re, re, uh, renovating the new heaven and new earth. And he's going to fold them up like a garment. That's everything. It's going to be just folded up, gone. Gold and everything. But not us and not him and not everything that's eternal. I'll tell you. Why? To, that they may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Christ, at his coming. Our, our trials are eternally significant. Sometimes we, we think this, that it's just, again, uh, everything, you know, if you have a sleepless night, it seems like you dwell on that sleepless night. Or if you have a, a pain or an ache or something that just doesn't go away, it's all that it consumes, a toothache, right? Just think of that. And yet, it is for an eternal weight of glory. It is better. Some final thoughts on this. Trouble is something that we should all take for granted. And I say that we should take it for granted in this because um, trouble is going to come. I, I know you know that, but I'm just saying it. I'm not wishing it on you either. And I don't believe that I can. All right. I just say this, that whatever faces you or is facing you today, I can say this, that it is, it is in keeping with his will. All right. Trouble is meant to draw us closer to the Lord. Closer to Him. Sometimes it's to correct us. As I said, C.S. Lewis hollered out, you know, it's when God uses a megaphone through our pain. And sometimes I need a megaphone because I don't, my, my hearing gets a little dull, spiritually speaking. Hebrews chapter 12, that great chapter about running the race and all that. But look what uh, the writer here puts here. He says, You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. Quote, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you, enduring chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of the spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chasten us. See that again? Few days. (laughs) Chasten us as seemed best to them. But He for our profit 
that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. A lot could be said there. I won't take the time, but listen. The discipline of the Lord, the idea is that it's a repeated thing sometimes. Needed. Sometimes God, I mean, I remember growing up, and my parents, well, they believed in spanking when it was necessary. I didn't go just do it out of the blue, but I'll tell you this, it was always justified. (laughs) And my brother and I knew when it was coming. And we probably knew that it should have come already, but we pushed my mother too far. She had a stick there, a little spanking stick. It didn't leave any permanent marks, but boy, it hurt. I can remember that. And I could hear that thing getting picked up. I don't know how. I could just hear it. Like, you know, she has that. I'm going to run, 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 you know. And it seemed like, seemed like it was that, that way. But I can tell you, I look back and I'm thankful. Thankful that I had parents who loved me enough to say, don't do that again. Don't treat people like that. Don't do that to your brother. <laughs> you know, because it, it shaped in many ways the rest of my life. And I'm thankful for that. Listen, God does the same thing with us. And sometimes we get angry with Him. God, why would you do that? Allow that in my life to to cause all this disruption. Because He wants to bruise holiness in us. And it doesn't come naturally. (laughs) Uh -uh. The only thing that comes naturally is, is sin. Holiness has to come through Him. And He justifies us. That's the start right there. And He begins that process And if you feel like you're under the hand of God and being corrected, then you rejoice because you're a son and not illegitimate. (laughs) There are people out there and you wonder somehow, how is it that the wicked prosper? Seems like everything they touch just seems to, they make money at it, they continue to do this, they they go out and they do this with any woman they want or any man they want, they do this and they think, oh, you know, this is just all good. No, it isn't. And it proves proves this, they're not children of God God is merciful to all of us I'm thankful for that trouble is meant to draw us closer to the Lord not push us away trouble is meant to be used and not wasted used and not wasted there there are some things that you know people are a little thick-headed we're all there I'm saying that from personal experience and you have to learn two or three times going through the same trial before you learn it It'd be good if we didn't learn, waste it the first time we went through it. We learned from it then. But sometimes we have to do it over and over again, don't we? Think of Jacob in the Bible, the patriarch Jacob. And uh, Jacob was one that, uh, it seems like he was always up to something, scheming and planning and devising and stealing and doing that kind of stuff, right? He was at, and his name means supplanter or, or uh, deceiver, Okay. He lived up to his name in his early years and then even into his adult years and all that. And then you come to, the, in the book of Genesis, remember the night that Jacob wrestled with God. He wrestled with the angel of the Lord and finds out this, he calls the place Peniel the next day, and it, meaning I have seen God face to face. He was wrestling with the Lord himself. That's a pretty silly thing to do. But we do that. We wrestle. I think of it as a kid, you know, my, I, I, when I got pushed, I pushed my parents too much, I would get it, you know, and I mean, in a good, I deserved it, I can tell you that right now, and I, it, never, it never helped me to run, my, my dad was always faster, 
It, it never helped me to struggle against it. He was always stronger. And I just had to submit and take it sometimes and learn from it. And I never got it again if I learned. You know what I mean? And I, I'll just say I'm thankful for that. But sometimes we waste those things. And Jacob was like that. And then he wrestled with God. And at the end, he said, God, bless me. Isn't that what we want? We want God to bless us. And I wonder what Jacob thought. How, how is God going to bless me? Because God kind of had him there, but, but Jacob thought he was winning. You know, he's kind of like, I, I wrestled with God the whole night. I can tell you, that's amazing. And yet, he says, bless me. So God says, sure, I'll bless you. He touches his thigh, and he causes him, the, the muscle and the sinew and everything in the hollow of his thigh to shrink. That's a bad thing. Yeah. Right, Mike? Walking around right now with a hip that's bothering him, you know? Others have had that. Every step you take, you're reminded of the weakness that you have. Every step that Jacob took from that moment on, he was reminded that he wrestled with God, and God won, and God blessed him. And God did bless him. His name was changed to Israel, a prince with God. And we are blessed because out of the house of Israel came Jesus, the Savior. And he would go and he would taste death for every man. And oh, I'm thankful for that. Joy and trials. Right? Joy and trials. He says, Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a reason for all this. And it's very simple that we're someday, if you can just take this moment and and run with it right it'll be all worth it in the end my favorite poem out there is is if by rudyard kipling it's often a favorite of many but the last four lines of that poem (laughs) i love it it says if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run then he says yours is the earth and everything that's in it and which is more you'll be a man my son and he ends with that and often that's been a, a motivating poem for people, you know, various circumstances. But that unforgiving minute, if you can just break it down to 60 seconds and say, I can, I can do this for one more second, one more second, one more second. Pretty soon you've got a string of seconds and you've, you've lived that unforgiving minute. If you're going through a trial right now, my friends, you can, you can make it today. And you, you know what? Tomorrow will come and you can make it tomorrow. And as a series of those events take place, then hopefully we finish well and finish strong. Why? For His glory. Father, we thank You for the Word of God. We thank You for these trials that are mentioned here and uh, the various trials that we face and for our, our correction and our instruction and also, Lord, so that You might get the glory as You produce holiness in our life. Oh, what wonder in that. Help us to be joyful today in those circumstances. And Lord, we just praise you for all you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.